What we're doing today is we're going to be looking at a couple passages, very familiar stories from Matthew uh, 2 and from Luke 2 as well. Let's abound a word of prayer first, though. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you uh, for your word. Uh, We thank you for these familiar stories of the birth of Jesus Christ. Lord, now as we look at these words, we pray that um, even though they're familiar, that your spirit would uh, bring them alive in a fresh way, that we might um, see uh, you, Lord Jesus, uh, in, 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 a, in a powerful new way, Lord, and what your birth uh, means for each one of us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Christmas is uh, a little over a week away. And uh, if you're like me, I can't believe it's already here. I'm not sure if I'm ready yet. We do have decorations up. The tree is decorated. Some of the presents have been bought. I still have a few to do. Um, But it's an exciting time of year. It's a familiar time of year. It's it's full of traditions and and scenes that we see each and every year. And that's something that we look forward to. Uh, We see uh, kids lined up in the mall to see Santa Claus. We See the same old Christmas music, uh, movies come through. It's a Wonderful Life and others. Uh, we see Christmas lights and decorations on neighbors' houses and in downtown. And we see presents and packages become to, beginning to arrive in the mail and begin to pile up, stacked up around the Christmas tree. Very familiar scenes. Uh, I want us this morning to focus in on uh, hopefully what is the most familiar scene at Christmas, the one that your mind automatically goes to at Christmas, and that is the nativity scene, the, the scene of the birth of Jesus Christ. We've seen this nativity scenes all our lives. We've seen them on Christmas cards, sent them on Christmas cards. We see them on church lawns. We've seen them enacted uh, in, in church musicals, kids' musicals. Uh, we, we see them sometimes on billboards and television commercials. They're everywhere this time of year, the, the nativity scenes of Christ. And sometimes we see them so often that just like a lot of other things that, during the holidays, they begin to fade into the background and they become a little bit too familiar and they don't strike us with, the, with the, the awe and the wonder that the story and the scene used to. Well, this morning, I want us to try to re- remedy that. And we're going to focus in on the nativity scene and, and look at a few particulars that sometimes maybe are overlooked that might help us to really embrace the birth of Christ again in a new this Christmas season. So to help us do that, I'm going to kind of commission you as, as movie makers. So I want you to kind of get your imaginary video camcorder or film, uh, film camera and, and zero in on three different aspects of the nativity. We're going to zero in first with those camcorders onto the star. Now, believe it or not, the Bible tells us in a prophecy in the Old Testament that, that God commissioned a particular star to serve as a, a kind of a GPS or a travel guide for a group of wise men from the East who had developed an interest in finding the Christ child. We see this prophecy in Numbers 24, where it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. Not only did that star lead these Easterners to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem, but in Matthew 2.9, which was read just a second ago, it tells us that the star led the wise men to the exact location of where Jesus and Joseph and Mary were. And it tells us that when they finally located him, that they fell to their knees and they worshipped him and they lavished him with, with, uh, with costly gifts. 
Now, the text of Scripture states clearly that the wise men rejoiced over the fact that, that God had provided them with a remarkably accurate travel guide and map through that star. And today we're going to focus in for just the first part of the message on the star that God places in each of our lives to draw us and to guide us to Jesus Christ. You know, um, those of you who are parents or grandparents know what it is to play hide-and-seek with little kids. I remember when my kids were much, much younger, shortly after we moved here, uh, we would play hide-and-seek. They love to play hide-and-seek. And not a real challenge for us as adults, is it? But, but, it, but you know, if I wanted to, I could win every round. I mean, I could win every time, right? But I, I didn't. I don't think I ever won a single game of hide-and-seek. I would go hide, and if they didn't find me quickly enough, I would begin to make noises, kind of rustle. If they still didn't find me, I would begin to whisper their name. They still didn't find me. I would begin to drop hints in the bathroom, you know, whatever. You know, if they still didn't find me, I would move to a location where they were sure to find me. You see, the point of hide and seek as a parent or grandparent is, is not to win the game, is it? You want them to find you. You want to see the joy and the surprise in their face when they discover you. You want to you hear the giggles and the squeals. The goal is not to win the game, to remain hidden. The goal is for them to win and for them to find you. You know, sometimes we may feel like we cannot find God. Maybe you're in that situation this morning. Maybe you feel like he's distant, far off. You, you can't relate. You can't connect. Something isn't clicking. He's lost. He's hidden. But God is not hiding from you. He is not playing some sort of cosmic game of hide and seek. He wants you to find him. He wants to see the joy on your face when you realize that you found him. God's goal is for you to win the game of life, which is to find him through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, throughout history, God has seen to it that those who do diligently seek him will find him. The Bible promises us this, promises us this. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your hearts. Fortunately for us, success in the search for God is not attainable only by the wisest, the bravest, the, the, the strongest, the best, the richest. This is not some sort of mystical search for the Holy Grail. We don't have to pick God out of a cluttered maze of images like we do the elusive Waldo. We don't have to search the continent of Africa to find him like a famous explorer did for David Livingston. All that is required for finding God is a humble and a sincere heart, a mind that seeks truth, a willingness to let God speak through his son, Jesus, and through his holy word. You know, many of us in this place this morning are followers of Jesus Christ. And all of us who are Christians can look back to a time in our life when we began to understand that God was stirring in our heart, when we began to become interested in, in spiritual realities and truth. Do you remember how that felt when that happened to you? Maybe at first you were a little confused because this Christian stuff was all new to you. Were you overwhelmed trying to sort things out while others around you seemed to, to have it all together, seemed to know so much? Do you remember what God did? He brought a star into your life, a, a GPS locator, a travel guide to help you find Jesus. It might have been a parent or a grandparent or a sibling or a friend. It could have been a, a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was a pastor. But God brought into your life somebody who helped you find Jesus Christ. Someone whose light was so bright and so compelling, 
whose love was real. And we found ourselves trusting that earthbound, God-chosen star to point us to Jesus. I can look back on my own life and, and count several persons God has put in my path to guide me to God at different points. Uh, my parents, my wife, even my children, grandparents, youth pastor, counselors at a camp, classmates in seminary or in college. God placed them in my life, and at different ways, at different times, they guided me to a different, more personal place with Jesus Christ. I had a fantastic upbringing. Both my parents' families have strong Christian heritage. We attended church regularly and saw the good news of Christ at work in people's lives. I gave my life to Jesus at an early age, and yet I confess that during my high school years, I stagnated in my relationship with God. I, I grew distant from him. I was kind of a, a spiritual procrastinator. I thought that when I got older, that then I would take God more seriously and, pri- take, and, and, and put his priorities in place in my life. I was sort of spiritually anemic, just going through the motions. But before my, God, my senior year, God graciously brought two people, two stars into my life who, who were my age, who were peers, whose love for Christ was so real, so compelling, they, they were shining for Christ. And that when I compared my relationship with God with theirs, that I, I was ashamed and I, and I confessed to God that I, I needed to do better and I, and I needed his forgiveness and grace and I was hungry for what they had. And God used them to bring me closer to God where I found Christ again. You know, for, for those of you who are still seekers, for those of you who feel detached from God, for those of you who might be sitting here today thinking, you know, I'm in the same place I was a year ago spiritually, and I don't see any hope for any change. Let me give you a word of encouragement. Chances are that God has already put in place stars in your life. Chances are that if you were to scan the horizons of your relationships, you would probably already know someone whose spiritual light burns brightly. Someone whose love is real, whose faith has caught your attention more than once. And that person is God's gift to you to help you get back on track with him. And so I encourage you to, to seek that person out, to confess your struggle, help them, ask them to pray with you, seek God, and God will get you back on the right track and bring you into relationship with him. So let's look now at, the, at the, a different aspect of the nativity scene. Let's zero in with those camcorders and look at the stable, the place where Jesus Christ was born. Get that stable in focus, and if we take a closer look, we'll see that it's not the quaint, homey, kind of nice, warm uh, scene that is often portrayed to be in, script, in, in most nativity scenes. It's just like a thousand other stables in Jesus' day. S- smelly animals, dark, damp, cold, rodent-infested. It was an all-around rotten place for a baby to be born, which begs the question, if God could commandeer a star to guide the wise men to Jesus, why couldn't he commandeer a suite at the Bethlehem Hilton? or a private room at the local inn? The answer is that God could have. He can do all things. But he made the deliberate choice not to. And the reason he did, you see, is is that when God sent his only son to live on this earth, he made a strategic decision not to shelter him from the harsh realities of this life and world. God had no intention of stealing his son by having him being born into a make-believe world of the rich and famous and entitled. Instead, Instead, God wanted his son to experience life in its blue-collar boldness. So Jesus' first breath of air burned with the odor of animal urine. 
the first noises he heard would be the grunts of livestock. Jesus' first outfit was not from Baby Gap. His first outfit was claws, probably dirty claws that wrapped him up to keep him warm and safe. From day one, God the Father determined not to shelter Jesus from the rude, crude realities of life on planet Earth. Why? Well, because insulated aristocrats cannot relate to what the average person goes through. They don't live where we live. They don't eat like we eat. They don't work like we have to work. They don't suffer like we have to suffer from time to time. If you look at history, history is full of aristocrats and and royalty and dictators who lived vastly different lives than the people over whom they ruled. And time after time, whether in Russia or Romania or France or Africa or wherever, their rule was ended by a revolt of the people. The resentment, the frustration, the inequity finally reached a point where that ruler was thrown out of office, out of power, because they lived lives that were different and detached, while their people struggled with the harsh realities of living. We do not have a God and king like that. God is not detached. He is not unfamiliar with the the harsh realities and the struggles that we have in this world. And the stable is ample proof of that. The stable is a permanent symbol of the fact that God sent Jesus, his son, to live in the real world with one of us, with us, and as one of us. Jesus was not given aristocratic advantages. He had humble beginnings. He was born into a real family. He worked as a carpenter, as a teen, and as an adult. He lived in a neighborhood. He had real friends. He suffered hardships like us, and he died a cruel death for a crime that he did not commit. So when the Bible urges people who are going through disappointment and pain to pour their hearts out to the now risen and ascended Savior, we can do so with the absolute assurance that Jesus understands because he's been there. Life without advantage, he lived it. Shortage and poverty, he's been there. Discrimination, oppression, he was a refugee before year one. He lived in a country occupied by foreign troops. Rejection, he experienced it. Ridicule, yes. Abandonment, certainly, by lifelong friends in the greatest time of need. Death of loved ones, multiple times. Physical pain, more than you and I will probably ever experience. So whatever you experience in this life that drives you to within an inch of your breaking point, which is where some of you are this morning, Whatever you experience, it hurts you so deeply that you want to cry, I cannot go on because nobody understands. Look at this table and be reminded this Christmas that Jesus understands, he empathizes because he's been there and he can identify with anything, no matter what you're going through, and you matter more to him than you could ever imagine or think or realize. Well, we focused on the star, and we focus on the stable. Now let's pick up that video camcorder and zero in one more time. And this time we're going to zero in on the manger. Now please don't think of the manger as sort of a, a first century bassinet because it was a far cry from that. A manger was nothing more than a feed trough for livestock, just a crudely constructed piece of farm furniture, ordinary in, in, in every way. If you think about it, the only reason that most 21st century 
Americans are even familiar with the term manger is because in one little cup of scripture, it says God's son was laid in it. And we sing about it at Christmas time. Apart from that, most of us probably wouldn't have a clue what a manger is. But because God's son was laid in a manger, that manger, look what happened. All of a sudden, the manger has a new dignity. It's a, it's a king-size bed. It's a household word. The ordinary becomes extraordinary. The feed trough becomes a cradle for a king. It's quite a transformation. At the manger, we look at it and we see that it's a symbol of what can happen to an ordinary object, an ordinary person like you and me, when Christ comes and resides in us. It's a symbol of what has happened to thousands of people, millions of people throughout history, around the world, in this community, and in this church. Ordinary people, working, thinking, acting, relating people, until one day these ordinary people are filled with Christ, and Christ comes to reside in them, and they're forgiven, and they're transformed, and they're changed. The ordinary becomes extraordinary because of Christ residing in us. But the step for that happening, of course, is that they need to ask Christ to reside in us because Christ is a gentleman. He will not insert himself where he's not wanted. And so just as the wise men came to Christ and and bowed down to worship and presented gifts to him, they offered their gifts, they offered themselves to him. So must we if we want Christ to reside in us. We must come before him, acknowledge our need for him, our need for salvation, bow before him and ask for forgiveness, ask for grace and bow before him and worship him as a son of the living God. And when we do so, something amazing happens. Paul describes this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, where he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ and Christ is in them, they are a new creation. The old has gone. And the new has come. An average man, woman, or child becomes exceptional when Christ comes to live in us. Where once we are only people pleasers, now we become concerned about giving God the glory. We become exceptional in love, hopefully, for other people in thoughtfulness, generosity, tenderness, and purity. God takes ordinary things, and when Christ is involved, He transforms them into something beautiful and powerful. And and we can become stars who point other people and bring other people to Jesus. And the question for us this morning as we approach Christmas season, as we look at this scene, is have we allowed Christ to bring that type of transformation about in our lives? Do we spend our money differently than other people? Do we live differently than other people? Do we relate to our husband or our spouse or kids our neighbors differently than other people? Are our thoughts and attitudes and values and priorities, the things we watch, the things we do, the things we do with our time, are they different than other people? Do, are we a bright, shining star that point other people to Christ? Not that we are perfect or special in any way, but because Christ is in us. He can use us and transform us to do so. And so these next few days, as we get ready to approach Christmas season, you're going to be seeing a lot of nativity scenes. Perhaps you've received cards from friends or family, and on them there's a nativity scene. When you look at that card, focus in on the star for a minute. And remember that God does not want to remain hidden from you. He is seeking you. He wants you to find him. 
and thank him that he's put people in place to bring you to him. And maybe you are driving around the city and you see a nativity scene in a, in a yard or something. Focus in on a minute, on a moment, for, for on the stable. And remember that, that Christ knows our struggles. He knows our pain. He knows our temptations because he was born as one of us into the harsh realities of this world. And then perhaps maybe in your own house you have a nativity scene. Focus in, if you will, this coming week on the manger. And remember that, that Christ desires to reside within us. And when he does, he wants to transform us and take us from being ordinary, sinful people and transforming us into extraordinary vessels of his grace and his love and his mercy. Our choice this Christmas is simple. We can stand there and watch us another Christmas go by. Or like the wise men, we can come to the scene of Christ's birth and we can bow on our knees in gratitude and worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that that you loved us so much, Lord, that you want us to find you. And so you put in place Jesus Christ, your Son. And you've put in place all these things, your word, friends, family, different people who know Jesus, who are stars, who can guide us and bring us to the exact place of Jesus Christ. We thank you for that. Lord, we thank you as well for the gift of, of Jesus' incarnation, that he was not detached from this world or above it, but he came into our world. He became one of us. He experienced the hurts and pains and struggles and temptations that we do. And because of that, he can offer comfort and peace and strength and help and victory. And we thank you as well, Lord, that Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ wants to live within us He wants to reside in us and transform us into something beautiful and extraordinary for you. So, Lord, this morning we come before you and we ask that we would look at Jesus, that we look at the scene of his birth through through fresh eyes, through eyes of wonder and awe, through eyes of gratitude and love. We worship you, Lord, and we ask this in your name. Amen.